Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. I'm Heather Vale, and you're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Joining me today is Elise Pearson, Director of Development and Law Enforcement for the Torch Run with Special Olympics Nevada. Their upcoming Polar Plunge and Duck Derby fundraiser at Cowabunga Bay invites participants to take the plunge and support their athletes and programs. Elise, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be able to speak Special Olympics and Plunge. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm sure that most people have heard of the Special Olympics, but can you tell us what exactly is Special Olympics Nevada? Absolutely. Special Olympics Nevada provides free year-round sports training and competitions to individuals with intellectual disabilities. We also have a health and nutrition screening and training called Healthy Athletes, as well as a unified program in Clark County Schools, combining students with and without disabilities to compete and play on a team, as well as leadership training. And oh my gosh, so much more. Uh, (laughs) I could just go on and on and on. That sounds great. How do the youth who qualify to be part of Special Olympics, how do they find out about you and sign up and get involved? Yeah, so everything we have from our sports schedule, our practice and our competition schedule, as well as our athlete applications can be found on our website, sonv.org. And you can register to become an athlete, register to become a volunteer, sign up for our upcoming plunge. Everything is right there, sonv.org. Nice. Okay. So you mentioned the upcoming plunge. What is the Polar Plunge and Duck Derby fundraiser all about? So it is one of our most exciting events we have this year. It is our first quarter fundraiser. And for the third time, we have teamed up with Calbunga Bay and Henderson to do our plunge and duck derby. Uh, the plunge is just a giant party. Everyone comes out and you fundraise a minimum of $125 and you get free entry to the park and you get to stay there all day, as well as you get your plunge t-shirt and food and free parking, just so much fun. And the Duck Derby is my little twist of like an auction or a raffle. You get to adopt your ducks. And before we run into the uh, wave pool at Calabunga Bay, we dump all the ducks. Well, I think last year we dumped about 1,200 ducks into the Lazy River and then we pull them out. We have amazing prizes. I think we're up to like 20 some prizes this year. So we'll have 20 winners. Uh, although I do think everyone's highlight is watching me chase after the ducks, trying to find them, trying to pick <laughs> the winners. So it's all around fun event. So is it the fastest duck that wins or just the one that you're able to grab from the water? So the fastest one always wins. And then after that, we try to grab them in order, you know, but it's chaos. There's four of us in the in the pool and we're just trying to grab the ducks and set them aside. It's a really fun event to watch. 
So is this polar plunge like the New Year's Day polar plunge that we're all familiar with, where crazy people run into super cold water when when it's cold out? (laughs) Absolutely not. We are in Vegas, and it is a Vegas plunge. And we go into the beautifully heated wave pool at Calabunga Bay. It is a (laughs) nice day. We dance beforehand. We got our DJ and then we do a nice stroll to the heated pool and everyone just gets to hang out there all day. Okay, so what happens during the actual plunge? They're just like going into the water and that's all that's involved. It's like, hey, look, we're partying in Vegas pool and we just raised some money. (laughs) I mean... Well, there's a so the plunge is the last thing. So there's a okay. lot that goes around to it. We open the gates. You get to go into Cowabunga Bay before anyone else. We we're starting opening the gates at nine o'clock, and then you know we have a DJ, we have dancers, we have just a big party. We you know have a lot of sponsors coming out that will host their tables. You know we had Ford Country come out last year and again this year, and they had some really fun activities. And just it's a big fun time. And then people love to wear costumes. So we have to have a costume contest. That's like a must have every time. And then after that, we do a huge costume parade. And then they run it. They literally just run in and splash. And I know some plungers stay in there for the rest of the day because you get to enjoy the park afterwards. And some get out and enjoy the rides. But the actual running in, splashing, having a fun time is the end of the plunge. That's awesome. So if they are wearing a costume, do they go into the water with a costume? Yes, absolutely. Unless there are some restrictions, I do have to put restrictions because we don't want to mess the pH balance of Calabunga Bay. So no glue, no glitter, but fabric costumes are awesome and welcome. And yeah, we, everybody, I think I had last year, someone dressed up as a sea anemone and he had a whole like cave of pool noodles around them they're really fun (laughs) is there a theme to the costumes or just whatever you want to wear that's water friendly yes (laughs) okay (laughs) so we do have a theme this is our breakout year currently special olympics nevada is the only special olympics chapter that does not operate independently but this is our year to independence so by the end of 2023 we will be an independent special olympics chapter so our theme this year is independence so red white blue home means nevada battleborn silver state everything about nevada and independence is our theme Nice. Okay. So what does that mean exactly that Special Olympics is not currently an independent chapter, but will be an independent chapter? So since 2001, Special Olympics has been a part of Special Olympics Northern California, and we have operated with them since then. And like I said, we are the only chapter currently partnered with another state. But by the end of this year, we will just be Special Olympics Nevada, not Special Olympics Northern California and Nevada. And they will be Special Olympics Northern California. Yeah, that makes sense. Because Northern California is up in Northern California and we're down here in the <laughs> South. <laughs> That's true. So what exactly do the proceeds from the Vegas plunge go to support? So 91 cents of every dollar we raise goes directly back into the programs. So everything we raise at plunge, everything we get from the doctor, we goes directly back to fueling our programs, which are sports, leadership, health, and 
you know, just schools. So everything we raise goes directly back. That's awesome. And with the Duck Derby, how exactly does the fundraising work for the Duck Derby? People are paying to adopt ducks? Yeah, so you get to adopt your duck. Uh, you don't get to keep it. <laughs> you get to temporarily adopt it. Yeah, you get to temporarily adopt it and you get to watch, cheer it on. But you can adopt anywhere from, I have, you know, duck packages that are one duck for $5 to, I believe we have 20 ducks for $100. And you can adopt as many ducks as you would like. They all get their special number. And then the day before plunge, you uh, will receive what your duck number is. The cool thing about it is that you don't have to be present to win. You just have to be in the state of Nevada. That's the most important thing. And we post our winners online. So yeah, you could be in Reno and adopt some ducks or, you know, you come out to plunge. Of course, we encourage you to do that. So you can cheer them on, you know, get their rubber little feet, you know, going under the water. (laughs) But yeah, that's and that goes directly back to the Special Olympics programming as well. Okay, cool. And you mentioned that there's a bunch of prizes, like 20 prizes for the winners of the Duck Derby. What are some of the prizes? Oh, goodness. We have a ton of gift cards. We also have a, I believe it's a two-night stay at Green Valley Ranch. We have two Golden Knights autographed hockey sticks, and I believe one of them is autographed by the whole team. We have just so many local companies have been so generous in supporting this Duck Derby. We have a lot of amazing things happening. That's great. Okay. So you mentioned the website SONV.org and obviously listeners can go there to learn more about Special Olympics Nevada. Now, how do they actually sign up to take part in the Polar Plunge or to adopt a duck? So same website, SONV.org, and you can either go to the events tab, which will allow you to select any plunges here in the state, or it should be right there in the banner. Select learn more and register and everything will be right there. I even have sponsor information there. You can sign up to volunteer there as well. You can register your duck, buy a guest ticket, create a team. Everything will be right there. Cool. And what are the other plunges in the state? We have one at South Lake Tahoe, which is an actual polar plunge. Yeah, I don't do that. Because it's cold? (laughs) I don't think Tahoe's ever warm. (laughs) And we also host one in Elko, Nevada, which is a super fun one, but also super cold. Okay, so if they want to have the nice, luxurious experience, the Vegas plunge is the one to sign up for. Yeah, if they want the Vegas style plunge with the sun and the warm water and the DJ and the dancing... Vegas is the one you want. If you like snow, if that's your thing, then Tahoe or Elko will be where you want to go. <laughs> no judgment, but you know, I'd pick the Vegas one personally. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm all, I, I'm not, you know, snow is not my thing. Yeah, no, me neither. Now, okay, you mentioned it's at Cowabunga Bay Water Park and it starts at 9 a.m., but what's the date? Give us all the details of the when and the where. So Calbunga Bay Water Park in Henderson on April 8th. Doors open at 9 a.m. And then you can stay and enjoy the park for the rest of the day. And when does the actual plunge happen? 1045-ish. You know, we're Vegas whenever we, you know. (laughs) No rush. (laughs) And the Duck Derby will be right before that? We'll be right before we line up for the costume parade. So we try to pull the ducks out about 10 o'clock because that's a really fun thing everybody does like to watch all the colorful ducks float down the lazy river 
Okay. And then the costume parade is right after the ducks and then the plunge. Absolutely. Okay, perfect. All right. So SONV.org is the website to go to. SONV.org. It stands for Special Olympics Nevada. SONV.org. You can learn more about Special Olympics Nevada. If you know someone who would like to sign up to be an athlete, they can do that there as well. If you'd like to volunteer, if you'd like to donate, all of that is there at SONV.org. Now, if you want to sign up for the Polar Plunge and Duck Derby, specifically you want to choose the Vegas Plunge if you don't like cold water and then it's not an actual Polar Plunge, it's a Vegas Plunge. That's the one you're going to pick is the one in Las Vegas, which is actually at Cowabunga Bay Water Park in Henderson. And that's going to be happening on April 8th from 9 a.m. is the doors. The duck derby happens at 10 a.m. and you can also adopt a duck online there. The costume parade is right after the duck derby and then the plunge will be happening at 1045. And keep in mind, no glue, no glitter on the costumes. And the theme is independence because Special Olympics Nevada is becoming their own separate chapter this year. They're experiencing independence. So independence is the theme if you want to dress up as a costume. And once again, SONV.org is the website to find all of that. All right. And Elise, I want to thank you so much for being here, letting us know about the fun things you guys are doing. Before we go, why don't you give us some of the other upcoming events that you might be having over the summer or the next upcoming months that people could start thinking about? Yeah. So always keep your eye open for our event Tippicop. Those pop up throughout the year. We don't have any dates set yet, but you can expect to see at least for a year. So join our mailing list and that way you are updated on any event. Uh, we also have our spring games, which are May 13th. We do Bowl for the Gold, which is another fundraising event, which is super fun. And that is in August. And then we have our law enforcement torch run uh, that we have officers running on the strip in October. Nice. Okay, that sounds like so much fun. All of those events sound incredible. And of course, everyone can keep up with that at SONV.org or on social media as well at SONevada. So, Elisa, I want to thank you so much again for being here. This has been a lot of fun. This sounds like the type of polar plunge that I would go for. I was born in Canada, grew up in Canada, but I do not do cold water. So <laughs> this sounds like the perfect opportunity and so much fun. And I love the duck derby idea. That is a really nice twist that you've added to the plunge. So thank you so much for being here, sharing what you guys are doing and also for the work that you do. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, we are so excited to have the community support and to be here able to talk about, you know, Special Olympics and creating a inclusive community. Yeah, absolutely. That is so important. And you guys are doing a, a great job in making that happen. Thanks again, Elise. I appreciate your time. Thank you. We are the 25%. That's a quarter of all Americans, over 61 million people with a disability. And we want a world where everyone is 100% included, just like you. Easter Seals Disability Services. We are the 25.org. 
This is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and I'm Heather Vale. This is National Nutrition Month, and joining me to talk about it is Marina Shapiro, nationally recognized pediatric dietitian, diabetes educator, and founder of Nutrichicos. Marina is also the author of Diabetes and Pregnancy, a real guide for women with type 1, type 2, and gestational diabetes by the American Diabetes Association. Marina, thank you so much for being here today. I'm delighted to be here today, you know, talking about such an important topic, which is food insecurity among Americans. Yeah, and since it is National Nutrition Month, that's a perfect time to talk about it. Now, how many kids in the U.S. are struggling with getting proper nutrition? We know millions of Americans, you know, are just one paycheck away from hunger. And the reality is that no one can thrive on an empty stomach, especially when we're talking about kids. So I'm really happy to be with you, Heather, today and, and, and shed light on this important topic. But I'm also here, most importantly, really to give every parent listening, you know, simple ideas and strategies on how we can include, you know, key nutrients that will set kids up for the rest of the life. And you know, how common is it? You said one in eight kids was at risk for food insecurity in 2021. And of course, the pandemic, you know, has only made things more complicated. Yeah, that's actually a pretty high number. Now, is it hunger overall that's the issue or are there specific nutrients that kids are lacking? You know, we know that the first two years of life are really, really important, especially for a baby's brain, which is growing. And, and timing, as I said, is key because if, if kids miss these key nutrients, it's really hard to close the gap later on. And so that's exactly why we're here because we want to avoid missing these key nutrients. And so let's talk about some of these key nutrients yeah. right and and i'll talk, i'll talk about uh, some some ways that parents can also uh include them because i know it's hard i'm also a parent so first let's talk about iron and iron it's such an important nutrient especially for a baby's brain and we know that a lot of kids 20 percent, are not getting enough iron so best way that i like to recommend it is going to be through infant cereal you know it's fortified it's super simple to make mixing with some formula some breast milk and just two servings of gerber's infant cereal will meet the baby's iron needs for the day we can also make you know a three ingredient pancake which i absolutely love and you know for older kids for crawlers so we have a little bit of everything and that's iron then we can talk about vitamin D, right? A lot of us are deficient in vitamin D and we can include it in babies, especially we could do a vitamin D supplementation. So for any parent, they might remember. And we can also do things like eggs, like canned tuna, canned salmon, and even dairy. And just really quickly, lastly, is going to be the calcium. Calcium for bones, we can also find it in dairy, in yogurt. But one of my favorites when my kids were little, especially if I was on the go, was Gerbert yogurt melts real fruit, real yogurt, and 10% of their calcium needs. Yeah, that's awesome. Now for babies, of course, it's easier because we have these great products that just, you know, come ready to go. But as the kids get older, sometimes it's harder to keep up, especially as you mentioned, going paycheck to paycheck and just struggling to even afford the groceries. So keeping those nutrients in mind, we're looking at iron, we're looking at vitamin D, we're looking at calcium, and of course, a well-rounded nutrition plan. What can parents do to ensure our kids get proper nutrients as they grow? 
you know, you said affordability and paycheck to paycheck. And I think those are key things that everybody needs to keep in mind. And, you know, contrary to what most people think, I think the kids nutrition doesn't need to be Pinterest perfect or, you know, extremely expensive. It could be simple. It could be positive and it could be affordable. So two things that I want parents to keep in mind is let's be creative and think of ways of how can we reuse maybe foods that we don't use. So instead of serving large portions, let's serve smaller portions, especially as they're, as they're first starting to, to start solids and maybe freezing foods that our kids haven't even touched or, or not using the whole pouch, but rather just using what we need. And the second is let's make canned products, frozen foods are allies, not our enemies. You know, there's a lot of what we hear in social media, but canned products and frozen products are equally as nutrition. We have frozen peas, we have canned tuna, we have beans, all again of these nutrient-dense foods, which are gonna, you know, really fill those nutrition gaps. Yeah, that's great. So we don't have to cave to the pressure of making every meal social media photo ready. <laughs> we can just focus on feeding the kids and feeding them well and and not worry about all, all the extras. Absolutely. So, you know, it's simple. It's not perfect, but that doesn't mean it's not nutritious. It's not nourishing and it's not, you know, uh, happy and delicious, which, which I think that's the reality for a lot of us. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how do cultural backgrounds affect food insecurity? So we definitely know that there's a disproportionate risk for black and brown communities to be at higher risk for food insecurity. So, you know, unfortunately, there are inequalities on the access of food. And if kids don't have access to food, there's going to be a higher risk for missing those key nutrients. So affordability and convenience and nutrition all are really, really important um, for, for everybody, to be honest. What is it that's preventing those minority communities from having that access to nutritious food? Is it strictly a financial issue or is it the placement of grocery stores or is it a combination of other things? So I think it's it's complex, right? It's it's inequalities in in social determinants of health. It's you know having not necessarily access to healthy food, whether it's food deserts, you know. And so it's not just one thing, but it's inequalities that, unfortunately, society there are societal you know inequalities that don't prevent everybody to have access to healthy and nutritious foods and and that's exactly what feeding for america you know is aiming to do they're they're the largest hunger relief organization and they provide food to millions of children annually through whether it's food pantries meal programs you know child nutrition services so again i think it's important for everybody to be aware that there are these services that can help Okay. And how would someone go about accessing services like that if they happen to live in a community that is more prone to food insecurity? So if if someone is experiencing food insecurity, I think they will find amazing resources to find maybe a local Feeding America food bank at www.feedingamerica.org and just see what's available in their own community. 
Okay, nice. And what about listeners who don't have issues themselves with food insecurity, but they would like to help others that are suffering from these food insecurity and not being able to afford nutritious food for their kids? What are some ways that people can help others in the community, in the city that happen to be struggling? And also in their website, I think you're going to find that's that's a great idea. Just other ways that people can help, whether it's finding a local food bank that they can accept and what types of products, you know, that they are more in need of. Uh, so you're aware that you can provide them, whether it's canned products, but the type of products that also can help other families in need. Okay. And just quickly, what is Nutrichicos? So Nutrichicos is my private practice, uh, which is Nutrition and Chicos. It's a bilingual space here in Miami that is dedicated to helping families and children, you know, raise healthy eaters without diets, without tricks. So I'm all about positive and balanced meals for, for everybody in the family. That's fantastic. Okay, so you mentioned feedingamerica.org. Where else can people go to learn more about pediatric nutrition, how to keep kids healthy, how to help those that are food insecure, or how to find assistance if they are suffering from food insecurity? So for more kids nutrition tips, you can always find me, whether it's on Instagram or my website, at Nutrichicos is my handle, or nutrichicos.com is my website. Gerber also has fantastic resources on not just, you know, the products, but also nutrition guides that could help families in the education sphere. And I think that's truly, truly valuable as a parent myself. So definitely check out those two. Okay, awesome. So once again, feedingamerica.org is the website to go to if you are suffering from food insecurity or if you want to help those who are, whether that's by volunteering, donating, taking food to a food bank, feedingamerica.org. If you'd like to follow Marina, find out more about her at Nutrichicos on social media or on her website, Nutrichicos.com. And if you have younger kiddos and you want to find out more about nutrition for them, it's Gerber is the company to look up. We're all familiar, of course, with Gerber. So Gerber has some great tips as well. And Marina, I want to thank you so much for being here talking to us about pediatric nutrition now during National Nutrition Month, shedding light on this issue of food insecurity that so many people are needlessly suffering from and some tips for parents to feed their kids more healthy. So I really appreciate your time and your expertise. Thank you. Absolutely, Heather. It was a pleasure. Right now, more than 100,000 children waiting in foster care need our help. The Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption is focused on finding them safe, permanent homes. Learn more at DaveThomasFoundation.org. I'm Heather Vale, and this is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Joining me now is Jennifer Pippa, Vice President of Disaster Programs for the American Red Cross. Red Cross Giving Day is March 22nd, and it's an opportunity to unite as a nation to help families affected by the current worsening climate crisis, as well as future disasters. In addition to extreme weather emergencies, the Red Cross responds to home fires that occur daily across the country. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Heather. So what is Red Cross Giving Day all about? 
So it's an opportunity for local communities to come together and help families who've been impacted by, as you said, home fires, which is actually our most frequent disaster. We respond to more than 60,000 of them a year, but also to help invest in our organizations that we are prepared to continue to deliver the Red Cross mission on those large-scale disaster relief operations that folks are more familiar with as outcomes of wildfires, hurricanes, or flooding operations. Okay. And what is the outlook on disasters for this spring, whether we're talking natural disasters or the home fires? We're off to a very hyperactive start for 2023. Those atmospheric rivers that we're seeing in the Pacific that have caused massive flooding and some pretty significant snowpacks in the Pacific have already started to challenge our organization as we're responding in the Pacific. And now meteorologists are saying all of that snow across the north is going to melt and that water has to go somewhere. And so they're forecasting a pretty significant flood impact this year, as well as with the warming trends that we may have more severe weather and more tornado outbreaks as we get into the spring months. And that just takes us through spring. And then we start to talk about wildfires again, and unfortunately, hurricane season, which seems to get longer and longer each year. And what is the cause of most house fires? Is it normally an accident that happens within the household? It, it is. There's there's a couple of different pretty basic things. Uh, sometimes it's candles that are left unoccupied. During the winter months, unfortunately, what we see is a lot of folks who may not be able to pay their utility bills use alternate heating sources. Um, and sometimes those cause uh, single-family house fires. And then simple things like dryer vents and unattended stove when they've still got something on and cooking seem to be the most standard unfortunate responses we see when we respond to single-family house fires. Okay. Now, what are some things that families can do to prepare for disasters at home before they hit? There's some really, really simple steps they can they can do. They can get a kit, make a plan, and be informed. And, and the first is really to create an evacuation plan. That's not just from your house, but also from your local neighborhood or community. And what that family does, if they should be separated during an evacuation. So mom or dad may be at work, kids may be at school. If you have to evacuate, how is your family going to get back together? How are they going to unify to make sure that everybody's safe and taken care of? That's the first piece. The second is an emergency kit, really simple stuff like bottled water, non-perishable food, flashlights with some batteries. There's also a couple things that people tend to forget, like important documentation, birth certificates, insurance information, passports, IDs, but also medications. A lot of folks nowadays are taking life-saving medications. You want to make sure if you evacuate, you take that with you, as well as cell phones and cell phone chargers and then emergency contact information. And then the third is stay informed. Listen to your local emergency officials. If they tell you to evacuate, don't wait. Go ahead and evacuate and get to a safe place and then don't return home until emergency officials have told you it is safe to return back into that community. Okay. Now, when you're talking about evacuating and taking these important documents with you, medications with you and so forth, is it better to have it all in one place where you can kind of grab and go rather than running all over the place looking for it? I mean, I know obviously you can't keep your medications in a go bag, but would it be better to have <laughs> some kind of foresight and have it all in one place together? 
Yeah. Yeah. I tell you, I, what we recommend is you have a go kit with some of that standard supply stuff and then just a little checklist that you put on the top to remind you to go get your medications and your emergency documentation and the things that you wouldn't put in there, but you don't want to forget in kind of the, the chaos of the moment of evacuating. And if you do that, we find that most people are able to remember everything in the, in that moment and be able to evacuate with the necessary supplies they need to take care of themselves and their families. Yeah, that's a great idea. Okay, awesome. Now, how is the American Red Cross preparing to respond to all these spring disasters that you mentioned are in the future? It really does feel like it's a near continuous response now, Heather. And so what we do is make sure that we have plenty of trained and available Red Cross volunteers. Right now, we have about 21,000 volunteers that are trained in, in various activities like how to run a shelter or how to drive a food truck or how to take a family and help them start working through their recovery process. Uh, but there is always, always a need for more Red Cross volunteers. And so everybody can go to the redcross.org, put in their zip code, and they can, they can find their local Red Cross chapter and they can see what kind of volunteer opportunities are available for them. The other thing we do is make sure and we rely on the general public to invest in our mission, right? Donations are how we make sure that we are ready to go. And waiting until the disaster happens is just not a luxury we have as an organization. So folks who give on, say, something like a giving day help fund our readiness. So that the moment something occurs, the Red Cross is there, positioned ready with volunteers and supplies to take care of that impacted community as soon as it's needed. Okay. So besides volunteering and making a donation, what are some other ways that listeners could help those in need in their own community? So the first thing they can do is actually they can take care of themselves, right? Like we talked about, make a kit and understand how to evacuate. If you can take care of yourself and then check on your neighbors, that is a crucial thing that every single person can do. And you don't need to be a Red Cross volunteer to do that. The other thing folks can do if, if they don't have time to volunteer or they can't support us financially is they can always roll up their sleeves and donate blood. We provide just under 40% of the nation's blood supply. And so making a Red Cross blood donation is critical. Those are an amazing opportunity for you for about an hour of your time that could save up to three lives with that donation of a pint of blood. Um, the other thing that folks can do is just take some Red Cross training, right? We offer first aid, CPR training. These are things that allow you to take care of people in their worst moment. Um, and you don't have to be a Red Cross volunteer to do that either. And all of this is accessible at the website, redcross.org? It is. Yes, ma'am. Okay, awesome. So once again, the website to go to is redcross.org. Very simple, redcross.org. You can sign up to be one of the 21,000 volunteers that they already have actively helping out. You can make a monetary donation. You can find out where the blood donation clinics are. You can donate blood. You can take Red Cross training. So all kinds of resources there at redcross.org. And you can also learn more about what the American Red Cross is doing across the country when it comes to supporting people and helping with disasters, natural disasters, home fires, and that sort of thing. So all of that is at redcross.org. And Jennifer, I want to thank you so much for being here, giving us some great tips for being safe at home and letting us know what you're doing with the Red Cross. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Heather. If you can plan barbecues and weddings, you can plan to protect yourself from a natural disaster. Sign up for local alerts, prepare an emergency kit, and make a family communications plan. 
Get started at ready.gov slash plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm Heather Vale, and this is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. This is Myeloma Awareness Month, and joining me to talk about it is Dr. Lee Greenberger, Chief Scientific Officer at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, or LLS, and myeloma survivor Gwendolyn Burgess. Dr. Greenberger and Gwendolyn, thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So, Dr. Greenberger, since it's Myeloma Awareness Month, what exactly is myeloma? Right. Multiple myeloma is cancer. It's cancer of the white blood cells, and these white blood cells can accumulate in the bone marrow, and they crowd out normal, healthy blood cells, and the result of that is that many patients have anemia because their hemoglobin or the red blood cells are low. It could also cause bone pain and bone fractures that can be picked up on x-ray or other radiologic scans, and it's common for patients to have renal impairments. It generally uh, uh, starts as a smoldering disease. You'll hear from Gwendolyn in a moment about that. And it can be difficult to diagnose, but there are good treatments available that will control the disease for many years. Okay. And when you talk about renal impairment, what are the symptoms of that? How do we know that's going on? Well, the renal impairment will actually cause multiple complications throughout the body. It covers about 30% of the patients. And it can be, the disease actually can be picked up uh, through the urine by a certain protein called M-protein. Okay. Now, who's most at risk of developing myeloma? So, the, uh, the incident of myeloma is the patients of an average age of around 70 years old. African-Americans have twofold the incident of myeloma, including even a smoldering myeloma where the incident is even higher, about uh, threefold higher. So, age and uh, race and ethnicity are important components for people at risk of getting myeloma. That all said, it is a common blood cancer. 35,000 patients get it a year, and it's about 15% of all blood cancers, but it's not a common cancer overall. Only about 1% of all cancers are multiple myeloma. Hmm, Okay. And why does it affect certain ethnicities more than others? The short answer is we're not really sure. It could be related to diet. It could be related to the genetic reasons. We're still really looking to try to understand why it's more prevalent in African-Americans. It also could be that um, patients come in later, that they, they wait to come in, and so it's detected later. However, even if it's detected later, we have good treatments available, and those patients will do well, but they need to get on therapy. Okay. Gwendolyn, could you tell us your personal experience with myeloma? Yes, I sure can. Um, my experience, it took a long time for my diagnosis. And as Dr. Greenberger said, I guess you can consider me at one of the smothering type of a patient. I started having not the classical symptoms, but I had problems starting in 95. And by all means, I was an Advent uh, believer of keeping up with your health, going to the doctor, taking yearly visits. And I did that every year. I had problems that were not explained to me. And I continued, you know, questioning doctors about those problems. And they diagnosed me with an autoimmune disorder. So from 1995 until 2017, It took just that long, I guess it's a little over 20 years, for me to be diagnosed. 
2017, I, then I started having all those classical symptoms of myeloma. And from that point, once I was diagnosed, and the only way they were able to really find us to tell me that it was myeloma was from a bone marrow biopsy. I had a kidney biopsy first and then a bone marrow biopsy. However, if uh, I, my primary care doctors over the years would have given me a simple urine test when you go to the doctor, you pee in the cup type of a thing, mm-hmm. uh, they probably would have detected a high level of that protein similar to Dr. Greenberg and what he was saying in my urine, which would have said, hey, you need to get some more things checked out. So it was a um, pretty disturbing process for me to lead up to the diagnosis. Yeah, wow, that sounds like a long journey. How have the support services at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society benefited you throughout your experience with myeloma? Well, that was the first place I turned was the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. When I was diagnosed, I came home and I went to work on the computer, located the LLS. My first thought was I need to find a support group. On the website, I, I, I located a local support group that's close to my area, joined that support group. I also located they had peer-to-peer counseling. That was my second line of defense to connect with someone who also had myeloma and was in maintenance. I met uh, weekly with this particular person by phone. From that point, I was was made aware of the financial support, the assistance that they give to patients who apply to help pay for any medical treatment. They actually, the copia system helped me sponsor my stem cell transplant that I had to have. They have travel assistance. There's nutritional counseling that I have taken advantage of that program, support groups, online chats. There's a plethora of uh, opportunities that a person that's been diagnosed with myeloma can take advantage of, as well as the online conferences, webinars that keep everyone abreast of the new emerging treatments and what's going on in the myeloma community. Wow, that's fantastic. So, Dr. Greenberger, how can listeners find out more about myeloma, leukemia, lymphoma, the research that you're doing at LLS, and the support system available to patients that Gwendolyn was just talking about? Yeah, as we, we have a very robust research program and patient access program as well as what Gwendolyn just talked about. Patients can speak to a, a specialist in our Information Resource Center at one 800 955 4572, or go to our website, lls.org. And if you go under patient services, you will see a link to myeloma, which describes a lot of information. And you could also look and see the uh, $25 million a year that we put into myeloma research to develop better therapies and ultimately driving to a cure for the disease. That's awesome. Okay, so once again, the website is lls.org. lls.org, it stands for Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. So lls.org, look under patient services and you will see more information on myeloma. And if you'd prefer to call, it's 1-800-955-4572. 
800-955-4572. And Dr. Greenberger and Gwendolyn, I want to thank you both so much for being here. Dr. Greenberger, for sharing your expertise and Gwendolyn, for sharing your story. It's been very enlightening for Myeloma Awareness Month. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Cancer screening can save your life. Begin cervical screening at age 25. At 45, colorectal and breast screening. At 50, discuss lung screening with a doctor. Find resources for free and low-cost screening at cancer.org slash get screened. This is a public service message from the American Cancer Society. You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and I'm speaking with Kitty Cheney-Reed, Vice President, Chief Leadership, Culture and Inclusion Officer at IBM. Kitty has more than 25 years of hands-on experience in technology and business and has led the charge to reinvent the way IBM leads and works with today's ever-changing technology and social evolution. It's Women's History Month, and we should be celebrating advancement, but new IBM data shows that the pipeline of female leaders is actually shrinking. Kitty, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So what's the IBM Institute for Business Value or IBV? The Women's Institute for Business Value is a collective of women and IBM professionals that every year take a look at different data points across thousands of companies to really look at the advancement of, of women and strategies and trends that we can leverage to improve the advancement of women. So this year we we did a study and found some very interesting things. What are some of the interesting things you found? So particularly as you highlighted in your opening, while we are making some advancement in, in the most senior ranks of companies, where we actually have an alarming trend is in middle management. And that pipeline seems to be stagnant. And depending on which way you look at the data, you could look at it as a reversing trend almost. So we really have to buckle down and employ some very specific strategies to continue to move ahead. Why do you think the pipeline of future middle management leaders, female specifically, is shrinking? I think the big driver is that companies are doing a lot of talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but they're not putting the right strategies in place. One of the things we found is that not enough companies are actually making diversity and inclusion in the female ranks a business priority. At IBM, we have declared it a business priority and we encourage other companies to do the same. And not only are we doing that, but we're building in and have built in, this is the second year that we have an accountability mechanism called the diversity modifier. And it actually impacts our bonus and our compensation. So to me, putting priorities in place and then building in those really meaningful accountability metrics are going to help us move forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely very important for employers and, you know, for especially major companies to put in place that, and that's very inspiring. 
Now, for individual women, what strategies can they use if they want to move up the corporate ladder and smash through the glass ceiling in their own company that might not have those initiatives in place? I love that you're asking that question. I answer it quite frequently for women inside and outside of IBM. But I think it's really about having a plan. It's about um, being vocal about what you want for your career. I had a mentor once who said, you can allow your future to be scripted or you can script your own future. I love that. And so (laughs) I think it's really, really important for women to define their plan. I actually put mine on paper and, you know, it involves really looking at where you are today, where you want to go in your next job, and then where you want to be ultimately. And then mapping out the steps to get there, having conversations with the people who have the influence and the power to help you get there. It takes courage and it takes planning. Yeah. And it also opens up a lot of questions for women who are trying to balance work life and home life. We used to call it being a super mom, having it all, being the one who drives all the kids to soccer practice, but also being the C-suite executive or the VP or the manager in a department. How can we balance work and home life and do it all effectively? Yeah, so this might not be popular, but I I'm, I don't use the term balance. I use um, the term work-life integration because mm. work is life, and life yeah. is work. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you, it's 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 really a misnomer, I think, to to think about them as separate things and trying to balance on a scale. And I tell people all the time, you can have it all but you can't necessarily have it all at the same time. So I, at least in my own personal career, have made choices uh, about when I wanted to be all in and how I wanted to integrate work and life. You know, I didn't miss the important things and I made certain that I was still making progress against my career objectives. And it was not until later in my career that I really figured out that who you work for is important. So having, you know, a boss, having supporters who actually respect your desire to integrate work and life is critical. So making certain that as you're selecting job opportunities and roles, you're also looking at the person you're going to go to work for. And you make sure that that person, that company Uh, will support your quest for work-life integration. Okay. Now, people listening might not be running a company. They might not be able to implement all of the types of initiatives you were talking about earlier, but they can still have influence from within. So what are some ways to influence company culture and make that company culture supportive to women and minorities? That's a great question as well, Heather. I think one of the things that we have done at IBM, and I think you can do this from any angle and from any place you sit, is we actually have support groups. Um, We call them business resource groups. We have over 65 of them that are dedicated to women and the support and advancement of women. They're grassroots efforts. And it's women coming together to determine what they need to be successful. And some of those things include education, 
Some of them include mentoring circles, sponsorship circles. Often we have talks with women who can provide perspective on different aspects of what it means to be a woman in a corporation and in the workplace. And these these groups work inside and outside of IBM in terms of their impact. I think, you know, we as women have the power and influence to really make things happen. And these 65 business resource groups are an amazing way to activate support for women. That's awesome. Okay, so where can listeners go if they want to learn more information about the IBV Women in Leadership Study or achieving work-life integration and instilling company culture that's supportive of women? I'm so glad you asked. Uh, If you could go to IBM.com and look for women-leadership-2023, you can find this year's study and other studies from prior years and other information about women in corporate America and paving the way forward. Nice. Okay. So the website, once again, is IBM.com, of course, IBM.com. And you're looking for Women Leadership 2023. IBM.com slash Women Dash Leadership 2023 should take you straight there. And Kitty, I want to thank you so much for being here. You've got some really innovative solutions and insight into how women can further their careers, make a difference, empower other women, and rise through the ranks. And I'm glad you're here sharing your information and letting us know where the gaps are and where people should be focusing their career if they want to take advantage of those gaps. So I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. And thanks for having me. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. (laughs) Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihadprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. I'm Heather Vale with the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and this is your community events calendar for nonprofit initiatives and charity events around the Valley. March 30th marks World Bipolar Day, and you can explore the solutions at learnmorebp1.com. That's learnmorebp1.com. The Nevada Partnership for Homeless Youth, or NPHY, is holding a plastic food drive through March 31st, which is a food gift card drive to help fight hunger and youth homelessness in our community. Donating a $10 fast food restaurant gift card buys a meal, and a $50 grocery gift card purchases a week's worth of groceries. Gift cards can be purchased through the NPHY Amazon wish list or dropped off at the NPHY Drop-In Center, 4981 Shirley Street near UNLV, Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Get more information about the Plastic Food Drive at nphy.org. That's nphy.org. It's tax season and the AARP Foundation is providing free in-person and virtual tax assistance and preparation through their tax aid program from now until April 18th. It's focused on people over 50, but anyone can use the free services. Find out more or book your appointment at aarpfoundation.org slash tax aid, spelled T-A-X-A-I-D-E. That's aarpfoundation.org slash tax aid. 
Bunnies Matter Rescue is holding their spring fling and rummage sale on Saturday, April 1st from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Floyd Lamb Park's Bunny Building. Find out more or pre-order your game tickets at bunniesmatter.org. That's bunniesmatter.org. The Junior League of Las Vegas, or JLLV, is hosting its 20th annual Paint the Town Red event next Saturday, April 1st at 6 p.m. at the Venetian Resort. This is JLLV's largest annual fundraiser honoring those who have made outstanding contributions to volunteerism and developing the potential of women in our local community. Find out more info or get your tickets at jllv.org. That's jllv.org. Monday's Dark with Mark Chinook is a bi-monthly musical fundraising party at The Space, with each event raising $10,000 for a specific charity in 90 minutes. Upcoming shows include Monday, April 3rd at 8 p.m., benefiting Pal V, Protecting Animal Life, and Monday, April 17th at 8 p.m., benefiting Shania Kids Can. Get tickets or find out more details at mondaysdark.com. Also coming up is the 4th Annual Monday's Dark 5K Cowbell Jammer on Sunday, April 30th with check-in at 8 a.m., group warm-up at 8.30, and fun run at 9 a.m. at True Fusion Eastern. This 5K supports many of the incredible local organizations that Monday's Dark has partnered with to date, and you get to choose your benefiting organization when you register. There's also post-race karaoke and, of course, more cowbells. Register or find out more details at mondaysdark.com. That's mondaysdark.com. Special Olympics Nevada is hosting the Polar Plunge and Duck Derby fundraiser on Saturday, April 8th, starting at 9 a.m. at Cowabunga Bay Water Park, 900 Galleria Drive in Henderson. This is a Vegas-style plunge with a heated wave pool instead of the typical icy polar plunge. You can also dress in costume, with this year's theme being Independence, to celebrate Special Olympics Nevada becoming its own independent chapter. Find out more, sign up for the Vegas Plunge, or adopt a duck for the Duck Derby at sonv.org. That's sonv.org. The Baller Dream Foundation and Circa Resort and Casino are hosting a celebrity poker tournament from April 28th to 30th at Circa Resort and Casino's 60th floor rooftop lounge, The Legacy Club. This three-day celebrity-filled weekend experience is hosted by Hall of Fame pitcher Greg Maddox to benefit young warriors battling cancer. Find out more, get your tickets, or sign up to play poker at ballerdream.org slash circa. That's ballerdream.org slash circa. And Make-A-Wish Southern Nevada's holding their Walk for Wishes event on World Wish Day, Saturday, April 29th at Town Square, Las Vegas. Make-A-Wish chapters and affiliates across the globe come together each year to celebrate World Wish Day, the anniversary of the wish that inspired the founding of Make-A-Wish back in 1980. Sign up or find out more information at wish.org snv. That's wish.org snv. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.